Welcome to Drilling Deep. Drilling Deep is where we drill deep into oil markets and diesel markets because they're the lifeblood of the trucking industry. I'm your host, John Kingston. We'll be talking about that in a minute before bringing on this week's guest. He's Bobby Holland of U.S. Bank, a major factoring lender to the trucking industry. From that position, he sees millions of invoices that give him a strong insight into the strength of the market. He's going to be with us in just a few minutes. Here's all you need to know about the diesel market. The Department of Energy, Energy Information Administration weekly price that gets used in the calculation of fuel surcharges was unchanged last Monday when it was posted. Unchanged. Nothing. That hasn't happened for more than two years. Prices have held steady for several weeks after their 20-week upward run. But I'm going to take that back that that's all you need to know about the diesel market. It really isn't. You need to watch out. That stability and downward trend may be coming to an end. As I write this, the price of ultra-low sulfur diesel on the CME Commodity Exchange is up again today, and by the end of the day, is probably going to have tacked on about $0.10 cents a gallon just since last Tuesday. Diesel is rising faster than crude benchmarks WTI and Brent, so it's not as if it's just going along for the ride. It is rising faster than gasoline also. This is happening even as oil markets are dealing with something that should be pretty bearish for prices. As we know, India is in the grips of a serious surge in COVID cases and lockdowns there are the order of the day. India consumes the third largest amount of oil products of any country in the world, though to be fair, Europe in the world of oil market analysis does tend to get thought of as one big consuming area for discussions like this. So if Europe was a country, India would be the fourth biggest consumer. The impact from India did play in the market for a few days, but then sort of surprisingly just fizzled out. So what's happened since? The weekly U.S. inventory numbers that came out this week were somewhat bullish, but what really helped kick the market into higher gear was a report from Goldman Sachs. Now, first of all, let's point out that any kind of commodity market right now is moving upward. So oil is no different. But so you, you do want to look at what's driving that. And I think the Goldman Sachs report has a lot to do with this. The pronouncements by Goldman have always been watched closely in oil markets, even though there are dozens and dozens of other voices out there. The head of the commodity research at Goldman is a guy named Jeffrey Curry. And when Jeffrey Curry speaks, people listen. What the Goldman report said this week is that it expects the next six months to see the biggest jump in global oil demand year over year in history. Now, remember, the base comparison is a period gripped by the pandemic. So it's not really a fair comparison. But what Goldman sees is a 5.2 million barrel per day increase from 2020 levels. More importantly, on the back of that, Brent prices will be translated to rise to $80 a barrel, according to Goldman. That's off the current level of about $67. So to put into perspective what $80 Brent would be, note that Brent prices haven't been at that level since the latter part of 2018. So this would not be just some rise to pre-pandemic levels. We're already past that. We'd be getting back to levels not seen for two and a half to three years. Retail diesel prices back then were about $3.30 to $3.40 per gallon. The latest DOE EIA price, the one that, as I mentioned earlier, didn't change from the prior week, was a little over $3.12. So an increase in Brent to $80 might tack on another $0.20 cents to the retail price of diesel from where it is now. It doesn't sound like much, but it would still see fleets filling their trucks at a price they haven't seen in a long time. That might get them talking about diesel prices even more. In its report, Goldman talked about OPEC's ability to put more oil onto the market and found it wanting. That increase in, vo in the volume for demand was described by Goldman as one that, quote, supply cannot match, close quote, and that the imbalance must not be understated. That's a quote also. 
So we've had a month of stability, the slightly downward move in oil prices and by extension diesel prices, but the market is starting to signal that it is not going to last. We are going to move on to our guest of the week here on Drilling Deep. The numbers have been rolling in during earnings season about the performance of the trucking market during the first quarter. But, you know, those numbers are ultimately just a function of how well the freight market did. And here with some measures of that is Bobby Holland. He's a vice president at U.S. Bank. But more importantly, he is director of freight data solutions at the bank. We had him here as a guest on Drilling Deep about a year ago. Or I think it was probably 12 months, Bobby. Uh, you know, so we've we've had quite a year since that time. I think you talked about the first impacts of the pandemic then. And we're happy to have him back. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Good seeing you again. So let's talk first about the uh, U.S. Bank Shipment Index and the U.S. Bank Spend Index and what they measure. Uh, the the U.S. Bank uh, National Shipments and Spend Indexes uh, measure U.S. Bank's view of the freight market as determined through uh, processing over $31 billion in payments every year. And basically, it's based on truckload and less than truckload data, uh, paid invoices. And uh, that's that's basically what we process to determine basically the velocity of the market up or down. Yeah, and let's point out where that source of data is. You are a factoring company. You are a very big factoring company. And so but can you tell us how many invoices you buy, let's say, every quarter, every month? Well, actually, we're, we're a freight audit and payment system provider. And so what we do is we provide services to both shippers and carriers. We enable uh, accurate invoicing and uh, accurate, you know, buying and purchasing basically of shipping services between um, our customers. All right. So um, when I looked at the numbers that you put out, what really jumped out at me was this. You say in the shipment index that it was an 8.3% drop from the prior quarter and still rates went down nowhere near that. Rates still sounded, still stayed very strong. What does that bode for the rest of the year? I mean, if, if rates are that sticky, even through a period when freight shipments are down 8.3% based on your index, what does that what does that mean for, for for rates when you're if you're dealing with let's say sing, high single digit or double digit uh, freight growth in second or third quarter? Uh, interesting question. Uh, one of the reasons that we believe that the uh, index went down. Well, first of all, from a seasonal perspective, the index will drop an, a little bit in Q1, typically coming down off of a high volume holiday season. Uh, but in this particular quarter. Uh, we had severe weather in various parts of the country, especially in areas that don't usually get severe weather. And that weather had a major impact on uh, shipping volumes. And because of that, you know, and given the tight capacity in the market, um, given that it pushed rates higher as shippers scrambled to try to find other ways to get around uh, some of these blockages and shortages uh, in capacity. So rates went higher, volumes were slower. Uh, as as to how that bodes well, again, we believe that these were temporary issues. I mean, obviously, the trucking capacity has been an issue for you know a few years, uh, so that's not going to go away. But the the shortages that that drove rates up and hence the spend index uh, should mitigate as we move into the spring and summer weather. All right, but let's note that the spend index dropped a lot less than the shipment index. How big was that gap? Uh, the National spend index only fell, it fell about half 
of what over, over quarter than over what the spend, um, what the shipments did. All right. So there was there's no correlation. I mean, there's some correlation there, obviously, but certainly not a one to one correlation as rates held or then the spend held, even as the volume that went down pretty significantly. Um, you mentioned diesel prices in your report. Uh, how do you have any you've got a long history here uh, of data. Is there any suggestion that diesel prices, as they start to get high, do impact the level of shipments? Conventional wisdom is that they just take that price and they shove it through to the, the shippers, uh, through the fuel surcharge, and that's it. But we know that it's really not that simple. Do you have any indication of a correlation? Uh, we don't believe that the higher diesel prices will affect shipment volumes necessarily. But what it does is it enables spending to outpace the shipments by a wider margin because like you said they pass through carriers will pass through those additional fuel charges to the shippers but the shippers still have to move their goods they just have to pay more for it All right, so the diesel numbers are in your spend index then the well we um, the invoice data that we use includes line haul and service charge data for truckload and less than truckload paid invoices yes I see okay I mean well, that is significant because it is a cost and again I think sometimes I've kind of come to a realization that people maybe are a little bit too casual about thinking, ah, diesel prices, it doesn't matter. It just goes into the surcharge. I was speaking to somebody yesterday who said they felt that shippers are probably getting to the point where they're going to start to resist. They're not just going to say, okay, yeah, you know, pass on the higher prices. We'll just we'll just take it on that. Um, this is really starting to become to a breaking point. I would say that the uh, the leverage in this relationship between shipper and carriers, certainly in the hands of the carriers, certainly our own DHL index shows that. Do you get any signs or do you have any feeling that there's going to be some kind of a shipper revolt or shipper pushback against these rates anytime soon? Yeah, I don't know that we, I don't know that we, you know, can determine that necessarily from the data. We do know just from, you know, experience with our customers that there's a lot of negotiation a lot of creative thinking on how to manage this because, you know, they're asking the same questions that you are. Where, what is this boat? You know, shippers are asking some of the questions, where is this going to go? And so, you know, a lot of times they're pre-negotiating rates uh, that incorporate that. Uh, there's a lot of, 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 of activity going on to try to mitigate that. But as far as a revolt, I don't know that we can tell that from our data. I mean, you had a chart there in one of the reports I saw um, showing the shipment index from the fourth quarter, which was you know on a bar chart way higher than any other column on that bar chart. Uh, do you do you foresee that that number being uh, superseded or or exceeded by the end of the, this year anytime? That's a good question. I I don't know. Okay. Something we're definitely going to be watching. Right. Okay. Now, also looking at your data, the wet, you know, you talked about the Southwest being impacted, and certainly it was by the weather. But the biggest drop was on the West Coast. And the uh, interesting aspect there was that you said that the lack of containers had hurt the export business. The imports we know were coming in. All those ports out there were reporting, you know, record months one after the other. And uh, and that uh, that lack of containers was turned out to be a greater impact on the market than even the storm was in the Southwest. Do you see that easing at all? Were you kind of surprised that that was the, the weakest market you saw? Yes, we were kind of surprised because, you know, we've been seeing the activity and even empirically, you know, looking in the news and seeing how the, the freight is stacking up on the West Coast. So you would think that with that much shipment, that, that much freight moving in, it shouldn't be a problem to turn it back around. Um, but evidently, everybody's having the same problem in trying to get exports out. And so 
um, yeah, it was a surprising impact because usually the the Midwest doesn't have. It's more with the supply of the agricultural, not the ability to move the goods out of the Midwest. Right. The um, you know, I, I took a road trip over the past weekend, and every every so often, driving down the interstate from New York to Virginia, I'd see a stray container you know, with some manufacturing site at the side. And I always kind of wondered, do they know about that one? You know, maybe they can go grab that one and use it. But because, uh, you know, the, what's always been interesting about containers is that uh, they don't always know where they are. You know, there's, there's thousands and I guess probably tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands in this country. And what's always been interesting is that uh, companies don't always know that what they're located. So maybe I saw some stray containers. But, you know, I, I like to believe in... A lot of people also brought up in, in some of the conversations that I've had about, you know, just with the boom in, in shipping container housing, you know, just pondering whether or not that's had an impact as everybody's trying to build these fantastic dwellings out of out of what were supposedly excess shipping containers. And now there's a scramble. So some people are wondering if that's even an impact. Well, you know, when you're on the margin, any kind of market on the margin, you know, a, a small reduction in supply or a small shift in demand can really have outsized impact on the market. So, you know, um, I like to believe in free markets, but and I, I like to always believe that uh, capacity will ultimately get provided to what it's needed. But, you know, when I look at the trucking market, I see a couple of sort of outside extraneous factors. You have stimulus programs. Um, and uh, last week, uh, I had Tim Crawford of 10th Street here on the podcast. They process a lot of driver applications. And he said when the stimulus programs went through, he could see an immediate drop off in the number of applications that they handled. Uh, you also, of course, uh, since the start of last year, you've had the drug and alcohol clearinghouse that's mm -hmm. been taking people off the market. Um, are you worried that we're getting to the point where the ability to provide this capacity is just being strained uh, to its ultimate ends? Uh, we've heard, you know, we've heard, uh, obviously, um, our uh, economist that we work with is also with the American Trucking Association. So, you know, he's expressed many times that there are some, I won't say concerns, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but basically it's a big topic for them uh, because of everything that just kind of, I won't say piles on, but everything that accumulates, you know, given COVID and the ability to get new drivers on. And then, like you said, new regulations that are taking drivers um, off the rolls, uh, albeit temporarily. But then we also have capacity issues that are impacting them, the ability to get trucks into the hands of the market. So it's definitely top of mind at, at the American Trucking Associations. And so it kind of bleeds into our commentary from that regard that, yeah, it is a big concern because as we've been, they've been carrying this, this capacity even before COVID. It was a, a, a huge problem. And the numbers just don't seem to be getting that much better as far as mitigating it. Yeah, I mean, are you, you, I don't know how long you've been doing this, but are you starting to see numbers that just kind of make your eyes pop out that you, you think to yourself, I've never seen these numbers before? Um, that happens pretty much every quarter <laughs> for a variety of reasons. But uh, it, what's been inter of interest to us is just, you know, seeing how resilient the marketplace is. Just when we think that, you know, things are going to, are, 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 I won't say reaching dire, but let's say when things are, are, are reaching a certain stage, just the, the creativity uh, in the marketplace as to, to, to get around it and to, you know, shift things around and adapt and overcome, if you will. Uh, that's what, that's the kind of stuff that usually amazes me in the data because the data will say, we try to be factual with the data and not put too much spin on it or, or, you know, we, and then as a bank, we can't really forecast. Um, but 
you know, your mind is still going to go there. And so as you see some of these things and just the, like I said, just the resilience of the marketplace is more what amazes me. Yeah. You know, I, so I they'll find ways around it, I guess, is basically what I'm getting at. Yeah. One of the numbers that that's out there that a, an analyst told me one time, he always looks at every quarter is when Landstar's earnings comes come out. If you go into the data, there is a number there for BCO providers, business capacity owner providers. And of course, you know, the unique setup of Landstar's business um, where, you know, drivers sort of come in and out. And he says he always considers that to be a very good barometer of capacity, that if the if, there's, if capacity is rising, then that BCO number should be rising too. And the fact is the number in the fourth, in the first quarter, for BCO, I don't know it off the top of my head. But it was very strong. And so what strikes me is that if that number is, in fact, a very good barometer of capacity and that number was pretty healthy in the first quarter, and yet you still got these rates. This is why I come back to my earlier question about, you know, is there can we really squeeze out more capacity? I mean, if you get up to that shipment index in the fourth quarter this year that, that and you exceed it again, you know, where's the capacity coming from? I guess it sounds to me like you have a fair amount of, uh, of, of confidence in the market. Yeah, and again, you know, just from what we were able to see, you know, it looks like a lot of the things that are going into 2020, 2021 impacting capacity were of a temporary nature. So, and then just in talking to, again, some of our customers, they're very confident that, you know, these things are temporary. And, you know, so we're kind of going with with that viewpoint right now, but we're continuing to, to watch it. Yeah. Is this... Um... You, you you lost my my train of thought here. You know, you, sometimes when markets, when everybody is bullish, and, and right now everybody is bullish, <laughs> let's face it, when everybody's bullish, that's the time to be a bear. I mean, do you see any signs out there that give you some concern uh, that maybe there's some uh, possible sort of little landmines out there that could disrupt this market that people are not counting on? Um, we've heard, you know, from some of the people that we've talked with that, there are things like that, you know, because everybody's kind of taking a, a different interpretation. A lot of people are are looking at it as, you know, as things have opened up, you know, we're going to continue to move forward. But then there's also some people that are basically talking from the standpoint that, yeah, while things will open up and, uh, you know, how much of what we've gone through in the COVID marketplace are still going to be in place even after thing, even after they have the ability to expand, like, for example, um, you know, the the online retail versus brick and mortar. As brick and mortars open up, will people be, you know, does that mean automatically that the brick and mortar uh, retail should expand or, you know, will they stick by online online retail and, and, and that marketplace will be hard? As the service industry opens up, you know, are people really going to be, is it going to be like full wide open throttle or are people still going to be hesitant or reticent uh, about, you know, jumping back in and going to movie theaters and museums and all of these other areas that have been closed off for the last year plus. Um, some people are saying, you know, that the the COVID precautions are going to take even longer to, to get through. And so some of these things may not snap back uh, while other things are going to continue to, to, to escalate. So it, it'll definitely be interesting to see how all of these, these little decisions and how all of these um, protocols that have been in place and people are getting used to it you know, how are they, how are they really, what's really going to happen when things are wide open this summer? You know, Bobby, talking about things that could disrupt this market, one thing I've been reading a lot about and we at Freightways have been reporting a lot about is the chip shortage, which is really a fascinating story. I read one story the other day about 
uh, you know, the one, one car company having problems getting the chip that moves a seat forward and backward, the driver's seat. It gets down to really that kind of micro level. Uh, as you look over the market, is that a potential pitfall where uh, maybe it'll disrupt the auto production, which, of course, has massive disruption uh, impacts down the line? It, is that something you're concerned about? Uh, it's something that we've seen is of concern simply because it also not only does it affect um, auto manufacturing, which is a big driver of uh, trucking and trucking freight, but also just even uh, from a f- the fleet perspective in that they're holding up the ability to deliver trucks to to the, to the marketplace, truck fleet, you know, fleet trucks to the marketplace. And so you hold those up and and they can't. Uh, take that avenue as a way to ease capacity. So yeah, it's definitely of a concern. Um, will it be a temporary concern that remains to be seen? But right now, yes, it is definitely a disruption in the supply chain. I like to, let me kind of wrap this up by asking you, um, what are just some some little things that maybe you see that the market doesn't see, uh, little facts out there that people should be aware of or keep their eye on, things that you know, you're particularly concerned about? or maybe, now I hate to say concerned because that always says it sounds negative. You know, maybe something out there that gives you a lot of, uh, a lot of confidence in this um, uh, market to remain on such a role. I guess the main thing is, and I think I talked a little bit about it before, is just in talking to some of our customers and just seeing the creativity that they're using in getting around some of these hurdles. Um, you know, most people don't see that. They hear the raw numbers and see, you know, these impacts and impact and impact, but they don't see the resilience of the underlying components of the marketplace and how uh, it's not even a matter of scrambling, but just a matter of, again, just creativity being applied to the market that instills confidence, not only from our perspective, but also amongst themselves that um, they can beat this and that even these temporary issues are things that will be uh, surmounted. So that's one of the things that a lot of people don't see is just what goes on behind the scenes to to make sure that freight keeps moving and that, you know, the COVID protocols and the truck driver shortage and the supply chain issues and the weather issues, all of these things a lot of creativity has been applied to, to keep things moving. And that, to me, that's kind of inspiring. Yeah, when you think about it, as, as, as I said earlier in the podcast, you and I talked about a year ago. Mm-hmm. And that was early That was early in the, uh, in the pandemic. And let's face it, we didn't really know that the supply chain would hold up as well as it did. There were a lot of people that were predicting, you know, economic, you know, econo- economists were predicting that, yeah, it was going to be this type of curve or this type of curve. Um, but again, just seeing how everything you know, came together uh, and people just took it every step of the way and, and worked around it. Um, it's definitely good and interesting to see how that's worked out, you know, a year later, because if somebody would have told us even a year before that, that this is where we were going to end up in the beginning of 2020, nobody would have believed it. And so I think 2021 may turn out to be that kind of a year as well. Yeah. You think about a year ago, there was, yeah, okay. We had toilet paper shortage and paper towel shortage, but you know, we also had concerns that we'd have food shortages uh, and uh, some you know, real, real problems in, in absolutely necessary, uh, necessary products. Of course, I would agree that toilet paper is a necessary product, but even beyond that, and none of this happened. So that kind of goes to your point that this is a very creative industry. It's uh, one that always finds the efficient way of doing things, maybe not the most efficient, but they do get the job done. I agree. So I want to thank Bobby Holland, the vice president at U.S. Bank and the director of freight data solutions at the bank for joining us. Maybe we'll make this an annual thing, Bobby. Okay. April with Bobby, right? Right around uh, income tax time. (laughs) Excellent. Works for me. 
Okay. So Bobby's been our guest here on Drilling Deep. You have been listening to the Drilling Deep podcast. We are part of the Freight Cash family of podcasts. We can be found on all the major podcast platforms. I've been your host, John Kingston. Please join us again. <laughs>